Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now, if you visited for the first time last week, we talked about cutting hands off and feet off. Plugging eyes out. And of course, Jesus is basically saying, you're giving your life to something, give your life to me. Today, if you came back, we're talking about marriage and divorce. It's a tough topic because there are many of you who have had to wrestle with this, this issue. But as I thought about this passage, it's a very important passage. Even if like you're in high school or, you know, the, the gospel always relates to these things. It relates to you. But as I thought about this passage, it, it's really important to see this passage that Jesus talks about marriage and divorce in the light of discipleship. Right? Uh, your marriage needs to be seen that way. Now, uh, We've said this over and over again, but uh, in the first part of Mark, Jesus has revealed who he is, and, and now he's saying that he has to die, and we're a few months out from his death. And he's telling his disciples, and he's telling us who profess Christ, uh, that we're to give ourselves as well. We're to take up our cross, and we're to follow Jesus Christ. But what's interesting about this text <clears throat> is, is, even though it deals with the issue of marriage and divorce... Uh, you never approach a text by looking at proof text about a subject. This, this, this subject, I mean, what we have before us today is ultimately about the person and work of Christ and how he is here to restore all things. Whether it's marriage, or how you deal with your money, how you deal with your relationships. In fact, one of the ways that we see this is that the Pharisees... And the Sadducees, they're not interested in divorce. They're interested ultimately in trapping Jesus, which ultimately they will get their wish and he'll be crucified. So that's the overarching thing, uh, this here. My goal today is to look at the topic in light of the gospel of grace uh, leading to true discipleship, which leads to believers saying, not my will, but your will be done. That's, that's what we have to look at today. So with that, I want you to turn to our text. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. We print it in the bulletin because we believe this is the very word of God. He left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore, God has joined together. Let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, 
Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and he marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come to our text today, we know that your word is to wound and to heal. It is to lance the boil and to bring the healing bombs of the gospel. Lord, this is a very relevant text in our, in our day and age. So we're half of the marriages, if people get married, end in divorce. And Lord, there are those who are here, good friends of mine, who have gone through this pain. And so, Lord, help us understand your word uh, in relationship to marriage and divorce and ultimately Christ coming to restore all things and make all things new. We pray that the gospel would be heard, that we would know of your love and your mercy to sinners in a very broken world. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Tell where we are uh, in the book of Mark. We've gone through about two and a half years, maybe a few, few more years. I mean, a few more months than that. We're the, almost at the very end of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And he's, and he's going to the cross in space and time and history 2,000 years ago to be a substitute. And, and he's come to be a substitute for us who've messed up our marriages, who've messed up our finances, who've messed up relationships. In fact, pretty much everything we touch to some degree, if you have any sense of your own sin, you mess up. And so we need someone to come and love deeply the way we don't, to care for those that we don't care for. To love the ones that are closest to us that we can't even love ourselves. And then to substitute, to take the curse of our sin upon himself so that we might be free to have life. We, we quote this verse a lot in 2 Corinthians 5 because it's a great verse. It's in the nutshell where Paul later explains that he who knew no sin, right, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I bring that up is that's where Jesus is headed. But when he started down that path, he started explaining to his disciples and thus to us today that we ourselves are to exchange our wills for his will. To to give our lives uh, to him and, and to serve him. That we are to give up, and again, I'm speaking to you if you're a believer, if you're born of God's spirit. The quest for personal peace and influence. You ever struggle with that? That my life is about personal peace and about affluence. In a way, it's about getting what I want to get. 
And yet, God calls us as Christian husbands and wives uh, to put sin to death. And if we cannot do that in our closest relationships, uh, then it's impossible for us to do that outside the context of marriage. Now, I think we'd all agree that the idea of putting our, our uh, others before ourselves, right? We talk about that a lot, but it's real. It's true because we have Christ, Jesus, who did exactly that. And so he calls us to do that. But I think we could all agree that we live in a culture that we're swimming in that's not about discipline. It's not about giving up of the self for the sake of others. It really is about the self. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. A self-attention, self-aggrandizement, self-actualization. And our goal, rather than to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, is personal fulfillment and happiness. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about this for a moment because, you see, this is where we start running into all kind of problems in our marriage. And if you're not married in your relationships in high school and your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you're dating in relationships in college, and you guys that do things with your hands you shouldn't do, and, and you girls are submitting in ways that God has not called you to submit to, because we're seeking our own personal pleasure, and, our own, and that's our society. Not only does our society condone that, it promotes it and basically says, if you're not doing that, then there's something wrong with you. And any preacher or anybody else that's going to tell you to do otherwise is a legalist, right? Larry Crabb, who was a Christian counselor, had an interesting quote. He calls our culture the morality of fulfillment. And he says this, We have become conditioned to measuring the rightness of what we do by the quality of emotions it generates that a new version of relativistic ethics has developed that might be called the morality of fulfillment. And then he says this, fulfillment has taken on a greater urgency and value than obedience. Personal fulfillment over obedience to Jesus Christ who shed His blood. And again, now listen, I'm speaking to us as believers. Now, I know there's unbelievers that are here, and you're always welcome here. But it has to make sense to some uh, at some level for us who are believers. In fact, uh, Samuel says that God desires obedience rather than sacrifices. Christ is our sacrifice. Therefore, give your body as a living sacrifice in obedience. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now let me tell you where I see, I used to see this as a, as a campus minister a great deal. Students were, had this great ability to when you, you plan something, you set it up, man, I'm there for you, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we'll have a big large group event. And then something better comes along. And rather than being in there with you for the sake of the kingdom of God, there is, well, you know, I got tickets to the Vanderbilt game. Well, who wants tickets to the Vanderbilt game, right? But uh, at least football. Self-fulfillment. What's in it for me? Big picking, three, four hundred people. Day of work at the church, fifty people. 
Right? I mean, it's just kind of what we do. And, and again, I, if, if you're visiting, you're going, well, here he goes beating us up. Now, I'm just trying to lay it out there the way it is. Then we got the men's retreat this weekend. Now, some of you men, as John was saying these things, were already going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And why are you not going? Well, you might have good reason you're not going. But you see, it might be that God wants you to go there for other men. Not to mention the fact that you'll be blessed if you go. I really believe that. You, you won't get any sleep. And um, we're bringing earplugs again this year. Snoring's awful up there, but... Now think about it this way. As we come to marriage and we think about marriage, if you go into marriage, and I'm telling you people who haven't gotten married yet, if you think about entering marriage in the sense of self-fulfillment and your own personal happiness, and that wife or that husband, that man or that woman is there to bring me my own personal happiness and fulfillment, then you're in for a rude awakening. Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, the purpose of marriage. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. In other words, what Jesus is saying, the reason he marries us as his bride. You know why he marries you if you're a Christian? is so you might be transformed. By his love. That you might respond to these things that you hear about on Sunday because the Holy Spirit begins to work. But God does not call us to himself to live for ourselves, but to live for him and to know the joy of what it means, right? To give ourselves for other people. We are to marry not for happiness, but for holiness. Do you hear that? Now, again, I believe, I'm a happy, I mean, I, I believe in being happy, okay? But it, we go about it all the wrong ways. I've never met a person who is growing in Christ this unhappy. I see him in tough circumstances. So marriage is not about personal fulfillment, but it's about mercy and it's about, Christ, it's about grace. If one is a Christian, your goal is not to use your spouse to make your life happy. Your goal is to put sin to death so that you will not put them to death. Let me put it another way. Marriage, you want to learn about sin? You want to learn about selfishness? You want to learn about people blocking your self-fulfillment and your desires? Get married. Now again, I'm, if you're going, man, this guy's Debbie Downer here today. I'm just trying to state reality because there's divorces out there. And then, and then the, for y'all that, that, that aren't divorced, the question ultimately ends up being, well, are you happy in your marriage? So, well, I'm not, I'm not divorced. And a lot of you have gone through divorce. And, and it's painful. And the reason that there's divorce is because there's sin in the world. If there was never sin, there would never be divorce. But many of you go, well, hey, listen, okay, I'm the sinner here. I got the big... Uh, D. But, but how many would never get divorced? Never because you're a legalist. Because the Bible tells you, I can't get divorced, but you wish you were. Now, it's better to stay married because you see a lot of people get wounded by divorce. Don't they? 
But you see, God is always going after our heart. And I really want to address you today who, who are married and, and who divorced and remarried, that you understand that the whole reason that Christ has come, everything we're studying about his person and his work, is to restore everything. Not to be a legalist, but not to be a, a, a lawless person, but to be a man or a woman who's coming alive unto God no matter what your spouse does. No matter what your boss does. No matter what the people who work for you do. That you're alive unto God. You're married to Jesus Christ. And this life is so short, friends, is it not? To live life married to Christ no matter what happens in your life. So here's what I want us to see in our text today. It's very clear. I think all these points are here. The first thing that we'll see is the hardness of the human heart that is discovered in the context of difficult marriage or marriage in general. You ever seen hardness of heart come up in the context of marriage? Then we're going to see Jesus' intention to restore the glory of marriage. Your marriage. I don't care how bad it is right now. And you might be thinking right now, I think I'm on my way out. Well, let me tell you what, you need to hear this word. And then finally, always, hopefully at Redeemer, because we find it in the scriptures, how the gospel of grace causes a marriage to grow and to flourish. Can, can we all agree that that's what Christian marriages should do? They say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm married and I, you know. So, here's the first thing to say from our text is the hardness of the human heart revealed in the context of marriage. Notice what it says in verse 2, if you would. Look there. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him and ask, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, So what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce. And send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Now, friends, since sin has come into the world, marriage is not as God intended, is it? That deep abiding connectedness is there now, there's a brokenness. That sense of loneliness that we all feel because we're all, single or not, we are all somewhat disconnected in some ways from God and from each other. There's that deep and abiding uh, loneliness that's there. And I think of what Eve must have felt like probably walking behind uh, Adam because he's mad at her because he says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. In other words, uh, God, if you had not made her, <laughs> we wouldn't be in the situation. And so there's disconnectedness, right? And, and so from that time on, all the way up to this day and age, you're talking about history of, the, of mankind, there is that, there's that disconnectedness. There is that broken relationship that's there. And so we had it at the time of, of, uh, of Moses. 
Here are God's people, right? To be a holy nation, a people set apart. And then they are out in the wilderness and they're complaining and they're bitter and they're getting divorces. But they're not getting divorces. They're just sending their wives out. Well, the way Jesus answers them when he asks the question, well, what does Moses say? He knew and they knew that he's talking about Deuteronomy 24 because they both knew the Bible very well. In fact, in Deuteronomy 24, it's the only place where Jesus talks about, I mean, where the, the Old Testament talks about divorce in terms of a permission to divorce. And so it says this in Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. And she departs out of his house. And as she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. In other words, this first husband, who's a control freak, he sends her off with a letter of uh, divorce. If she marries another and then he sends her off with a letter of divorce, she can't go back to him because he wants her back. I mean, but here's the key in this whole passage. Is that the, the, the part that's in dispute is he has found some indecency in her. So the burning question among the religious leaders, was what does indecent mean? They were always debating that for thousands of years. Not my, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe I need to learn to love my wife the way God intended. And so there were two schools of thought. And what's really interesting about the two schools of thought is like today is you had the liberal school, excuse me, the progressive school, right? And then you had the Conservative school or the traditional school, whatever. And so the, the liberal school is called the Hillel. And if you tend to be a progressive person, a progressive thinker, then you would fit with this because indecent in their mind had a huge wide interpretation that went something like this. If she burns your food. Seriously. Um, if she embarrassed you in front of your parent, her, his parents. I could read a bunch of these, but for sake of time. But one of them was, if you find someone more lovely, and she's lost her beauty, and she no longer brings you pleasure, then you can write her a, a certificate of divorce. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like our day, and where marriages should be a place where we're loved and accepted, and when we can grow old together? But rather, it's, well, we have irreconcilable differences. Then there's the conservative school. And the conservative school was called the Shammai. And basically it was limited to anything that was pornorea, anything that was sexual, sexual impropriety. Of course, in the Old Testament, it meant death. But by that time, uh, that had been wiped away and, and, uh, and there were laws against that. And so for, at least it was more narrow, adultery. Uh, if that bond is broken then you can write a certificate of divorce. 
But what's interesting about this uh, is that Jesus' standard is much higher. He doesn't side with the conservatives and go, well, I agree a little bit more with these people than these liberal people over here. He points to the scripture, as we'll see in a moment, and he said, this was never what God intended. Now, let me say this in application before I I move to to the next uh, point. The reason there is divorce, and whatever reason, is because of sin. And again, somebody put it this way, and I think this is true. I hope you don't feel this way at Redeemer if you're divorced, but because that's always the obvious thing. Well, there must have been a breakdown in the relationship. There had to be some sin going on here. Maybe it was both of them. Maybe it was one of them. But somebody said, you know, it's better to go to a conservative church and have murdered somebody. (laughs) There'll be more forgiveness if you've murdered somebody than if you're divorced. But again, what breaks our relationships, whether you're married or, or divorced, if, there, if, there's this, if there's not this oneness that's there, this connectedness, this thing that we long for, this deep and abiding, can we all agree with that? Even if you're not a Christian, that we long for the connectedness that's there, to be one with somebody. Uh, Steve Tulisky, uh, who used to be our church counselor for a long, long time, he said, in, in premarital in marital counseling, he said, do you want to be right or do you want to be one? What well, we'd rather be, right. You know why? Because pride, because of arrogance, because of all these things that keep us from being one. Now, before I come to the se- uh, second point here, uh, let, let me just ask you, where are you in your marriage right now? Or let's just say you're not married. Let's just say if you're a single person and you're dating. Or you're not dating. Let's just say you're a single person and you haven't had a date in six months or a year or four. Maybe look around your relationships with your friends. And is there this sense of connectedness and forgiveness? Or is this this sense of pride and arrogance that separates us from one another? Like if you're always demanding... You're never happy. You're never content. You always want this. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to be one with somebody who you're a plot prop in their play? So that's the hardness of the human heart. Jesus was very frustrated with it. Right? And so Jesus gives us the intention to restore the glory of marriage. Now, I'm going to read this uh, verse in a minute. His answer is unbelievable. But as I was thinking about this, uh, the answer that he gives, I I started thinking about some of you who are struggling with doubts, maybe, about the gospel. Maybe you're wondering if it's really true. Maybe you're a high school student, you've grown up a Redeemer, but you still haven't bought into this. Maybe you're struggling with it. Well, let me tell you what you need need to do. You just need to go and look at the Gospels and look at all the questions that were very difficult questions that were asked to Jesus, Jesus Christ by scholars who'd been studying this stuff and there'd been these books for thousands of years and all these traditions and watch every single time that Jesus answers those questions like nobody else who's human could answer those questions. They're divine answers. 
And they always cut to the heart. They're always shutting the mouths of people. Not because he's mean. Not because, well, I'm going to let you know. It's because he is who he is. And he's able to say things that cut us to the quick. And at the same time, point us back to who he is. And what he has done. Notice what he, how he answers. Notice what uh, in verse uh, 6. Look there in your bullet. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He says, you guys are asking the wrong question. Why are you not looking at what God intends for us to have in our marriages? And when we don't really believe what Jesus says, do you understand how far off the cliff you're going? In terms of being cynical. In terms of hardening your heart against the work of the Holy Spirit. To step back and go, now wait a minute, what is it that he says here? And let me tell you what he is saying here. In the beginning, he created male and female. And, and again, I worry about our culture. And the stuff is just so far out there. But I don't want to just address that issue. Or where is our culture headed? I mean, obviously it's not headed according to what this text says. But think of the beauty of what our text says and Jesus who wrote the Old Testament through Moses. He certainly believed in Adam and Eve. He created them. But he says he made them male and female. We live in a culture that's stripping away any distinctions between us. That all we are is male and female as far as our sex is concerned. Versus understanding why it is that God created us in his image as Ish and Isha. But not only does he tell us that he made us uh, male and female. uh, But he says uh, that a man is to forsake his father and mother. And it says cleave to his wife. But I like this translation. That he is to hold fast to his wife. Right? That, men, when you marry your wife, you know what her last name is? Your last name. She's submitting her name. She's submitting herself to give herself to you. And far be it that you would put her aside. You are to hold her. You're to cleave to her. For she is your partner. Man, is that, is that a beautiful bit vision of what marriage should be? Instead of sleeping in separate rooms and never being one together. Man, it's amazing what sin has done in your marriage, isn't it? Our marriages. And rather than being one because of pride and sin, we separate. And we look at our, uh, the thoughts. But, but this is not what Jesus says uh, that marriage should be. But notice also, he says this. That what God has joined together. You think you got married because you just chose somebody, right? God put you together. 
And he says, what God has joined together, let no man do what? Rent apart. Including the person who chose the wife. It's very serious stuff. I mean, I, I don't know how. But you understand that this is Jesus and God's, this is his intention uh, for marriage. Uh, I've read a lot of commentaries on this. Uh, one of the commentators is Ken Hughes. And you'll hear me quote him a fair amount. But he said, basically, here's the gift of marriage. He said, there's two things in marriage. One is intimacy. They were naked and not ashamed. Uh, one of the things I've learned to appreciate about being married to my wife is that I am close to my children. I love Ben. I love Jack, who's just got down from spring break. I guess you're here. You better be here today. <clears throat> I love Robert, I love Elizabeth, I love my, but I'm not one with them. When I married Mary Beth, I became one. And you know, one of the things I remember one time, my, Mary Beth was, and you, you'd have to know Mary Beth. She, the way she would defend is, you'd have to know her, but she did it in a very Mary Beth way. But I, I can't remember what one of my brothers was saying about me. And I'll never forget, I was in the next room and, and she said, well, you just don't know him. And you know what? He didn't. He was ticked off at me because I was his baby brother, right? And that's the way he is. But you know what? Mary Beth saw something in me and she sees something in me that nobody else sees. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To be one, to be intimate. And then, of course, the other thing is the permanence of marriage. They are no longer two, but one. Ken Hughes says this, There was no thought of divorce ever. God's ideal was monogamous, intimate, enduring marriage. Anything less is a departure from the divine model. You know what we read in Malachi? God hates divorce. And then he says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her and says to the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You say, well, is there, any, is there any grounds for divorce? Yes, there are, and I don't have time to do that here, but in Matthew 19, you don't have one here in Mark, but there's a parallel passage in Matthew 19 that talks about marital unfaithfulness. Yes, I mean, that is a grounds for divorce if you break that covenant. But you see, even at that, if it's just like a, maybe a, a one-time thing, how devastating that would be. But, but maybe there should be grace and mercy. Yeah, I mean, that we say, well, seriously, how can I do that? Well, because that's what Christ does for us. We go after all kind of stuff, but he's always coming after us. I know th th these years go, wow, this is, is this an ideal? And I'm thinking, no, this is exactly what the text is saying. But the other reason Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 is desertion. And, and he's saying, if you're married to an unbeliever and they want to stay with you, stay married. Don't leave the unbeliever because they might become a Christian because you're salt and light. But if they want to leave, let them go. You're no longer bound. Those are the two I understand. Since I knew you were probably asking that question. So we come to the last thing before the Lord's table. And that is this. We see the hardness of the human hearts. Can y'all see that in the question? 
And we see Jesus' intention, the reason he came to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead is so that your marriage and my marriage can change. Does anybody in here feel like I've arrived? I've got, I'm there. No, you haven't. But you see, where you start arriving is moving toward heaven where we'll all be one, we'll be glorified and we'll be naked and, and we won't be ashamed. We won't be hiding from each other. Well, the last thing is how, how the gospel of grace causes a marriage to grow and thrive. And I, I'm going to be brief on this one. I notice in verse 13, he says, uh, right after that, he says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them and laying his hands on them. Now, I wasn't going to put this text in here, but I called Letitia on, <laughs> on a Friday and I said, hey, have you, put, have you done the bulletin yet? And she said, no. And I said, I've got to get this in here. But John, I don't want to steal your thunder because you're preaching on this next week. But as I started looking at this, here are disciples who Jesus had earlier said, uh, you're talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of, of God. And unless you receive uh, uh, them as you rece- receive me. And, and now here, here they are right after this. After he talks about marriage. And if anybody is a product of broken marriages, it's children. And so right after he talks about the glories of marriage, the next thing you see is disciples shooing away children. Now what does this have to do? Uh, with the gospel of grace and how it can affect a marriage. Well, I'll tell you this. If you are one who's proud and you want to raise your, you know, you know I, I deserve this and you owe me this and you owe me that, you know what? You're the opposite of a child. You're very sophisticated. But you see, children aren't that sophisticated, are they? They're malleable, even when they're like physically. You know, they're, I, I have a little granddaughter who's about two months, how is she, about a month old now? You know, you could probably bounce her off the floor and, uh, you know, you squeeze them and their heads are bending all around and, you know, and their feet are back behind them. And, you know, they're malleable. And I don't reckon, I mean, I don't do that, okay? I'm not like bouncing her off the floor. <laughs> But, but there is something about a tenderness and a softness that's there. There's this trust that's there. There is, this, there is not this sophistication that comes with sin. Right? And so Jesus says, you will not enter the kingdom of God unless you're like a child. Because what do children do? They go, hey, I messed it up again. And can I come? And you know what the parent says? Of course. You know, the problem in our marriages is that we're so sophisticated. And then we have every reason. You don't know my wife. You ever heard that one? I have. I'm a pastor. But you know what I was also heard? You, you don't know my husband. And I'm sorry if it's hard. But you see, at least you can become like a little child and put your trust in Jesus Christ and whatever your spouse does. But when, how wonderful would it be if both do that? Repent of your sin, married people. 
Tell your wife you love her husband. Wife, tell your husband, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be hard toward you. Because that's the spirit. And we need the Lord to be real Christians, don't we? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for those. There are a lot of people here who've gone through the pain of divorce. The last thing I want them to feel is, is like failures. Lord, we're all failures. Uh, but Lord, would you work in us in such a way that we would, from this day forward, not only love our spouses, but we would love our enemies. That we'd be tr- that the world is dying for true believers who are salt and light, whose lives, uh, the wind of the gospel blows through them, and they are savor of life and life and death to death to those who are being saved, life and those who are perishing death. Lord, would you bless every one of our marriages here today? Lord, would you please, please show your mercies and kindness and that your goodness would bring people's hearts that are so hard to true repentance, the joy of being like a child, trusting our Father in heaven even as Jesus did, submitting even unto death on the cross. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.